Welcome to the Seated Above podcast, where you will be empowered to live an ascended life in Christ mystically, financially, physiologically, and governmentally. Here's your host, Brian Orm. In this episode of the Seated Above podcast, I interview my good friend Joseph Wilson. From New Zealand, we have a fun conversation around New Era Apostles. What does the apostolic look like today? Kind of redefining bringing some new composition to the understanding of the language and a fresh perspective of what it means to live this out in the day and age that we are currently in and to build into a very bright, advancing future. Check it out. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in today on the Seated Above podcast. I'm excited to have a really good friend of mine from the amazing land of New Zealand, And we've been building a friendship over the years, really been just honored and excited to see his journey and what he's been building. And so I want to welcome Joseph Wilson to the Seated Above podcast. Good to see you, man. Good to see you, Brian. Uh, The honor is all mine. I uh, honor you, what you carry, what you're doing. And I love that you are truly relational. So that gets me very excited. Yeah, come on. So for those that are listening that may not know much about who you are and what you're doing, give us kind of the 30,000 foot flyover. Who is Joseph Wilson and what are you doing? Yeah. So I live in Auckland, New Zealand. I am happily married to Kirsten. We have three beautiful girls, a young family. So they keep us on our toes. And uh, currently there's two main things I'm focusing on. One is coaching people into their current God assignment. And the second one is building little ecclesias around the nation and around the world. So yeah come on and so we've done some stuff in the past kind of partnering together and i was feeling like man we're supposed to do something again and so we were praying about it we really landed on this the idea of new era apostles and so if you're listening to this you can jump in on this july 13th and 20th we'll be doing a live two night uh, two-day workshop and we're just gonna be unpacking the definition composition kind of looking at some fresh language of what it means to function apostolically. But this is our convo today. You know, Joseph watching from afar, you know, I haven't been to New Zealand yet. It's on my bucket list, but hopefully one day and we can, we can actually hug in person. It'd be amazing. But (laughs) what's kind of been your journey and understanding or maybe re-understanding, you know, your role as a son of God, you know, first and foremost, and just your greater purpose in building the kingdom. Yeah, so since 2008, I've been on this journey. And uh, first, obviously, getting into the chair system kind of things, I was learning how to just serve in a building. And as that vision started to grow, as God started to open up what his purposes for me, my region, my nation, the nations, um, it really got me more and more excited you know and so walking with people was something that I was doing from day one 2008 like uh, I was seeing people get saved in my first two three weeks of walking with the Lord and we were always taught discipleship was number one and to me discipleship was just open relationship and so just walking with people and helping unlock what's in the people that I'm walking with became a focus you know and um I feel like that is something that has not been explored fully. And uh, in many places, people end up putting their vision down 
to serve someone else's, not able to see how their vision is connected to someone else's. And so my last seven, eight years has actually been helping people first see their own vision and how it can interconnect, interlink with other people's visions and just form a powerful net, you know? Love that. I mean, you're using the term discipleship. And I think for a lot of people, there's probably different perspectives on what that means and what that looks like. You know, we both kind of grew up in the church system, what I would call churchianity. And so I just, I want to make it clear, we love the church, but there's a system to church that really is not what Jesus intended. And so Mm. that's where you get additives, things bolted on that are just not, you know, sometimes not even really kingdom. But when it comes to Mm. discipleship, what's interesting is it's, and I want to, this is, I'm framing a question for you to see if this is similar in New Zealand, because I can't speak for New Zealand. I'm, I'm in America, but in the American mm-hmm. church, you know, discipleship is very attractional. And so, you know, our, our role, you know, growing up in a church was bring someone to church. If you bring someone to church, God and the professionals will take over. Mm-hmm. So it took me out of the equation of needing to disciple people. I just needed to bring people to something, to an event. And then there was, you know, church discipleship, which I think we had a 10 or 12 week kind of program where people would be kind of cycled through. Yep. And what would typically happen is we're abducting them from their natural influence. Mm-hmm. You know, let's say, let's say it was you in this example, and you're a chef and sous chefs and everybody, it's like, that's your world. And now we've pulled you away into church discipleship. We do all this training to train you beyond your level of obeying the Great Commission. And then you start attending church and tithing. You go on a missions trips once or twice a year. And we call that success. Yeah. Then what happens is we start small groups, but the small group is many times just a smaller version of the big group. Yeah. It's still an attractional model. And so if we can just yeah. get them to the small group, God and the professional or a couple of professionals in that group will take over. Yeah. Has that been kind of a similar experience for you in New Zealand? Yes, very similar. And everything you're saying is something I went through in the early stages. Uh, you know, so people would say discipleship. So I'm thinking that means we do life together outside of the building. We go play sport together, or we go and eat birthdays, you know, my wedding, we had about 200 people come and 50 to 100 of them were in the name of, or well, in the hope, let's say for me and my wife, that we are going to build lifelong relationships with these people. And uh, so I saw this firsthand of talking about discipleship, but no intention of actual relational equity just transactional in most cases and at best doctrinal we agree on these things so we go closer together so everything you're saying i had seen and um, i remember us talking about this a few years ago when you mentioned that and i was like yeah i can so relate getting someone out of their environment um, become you know familiar with the new environment and almost disconnect from all the people that god has placed in their life for a reason Mm. Was there kind of a journey for you? I mean, being apostolic really is more multiplying ourselves, which is not transactional, it's relational. But was there a shift for you personally in 
all I know is a transactional model. That's what I'm doing to the relational aspect. Yeah. So my heart was desiring the relational aspects, but being in an environment that was very transactional, it was hard to see relationships flourish in their own little sphere. Like, so what I mean by that is if I was connecting with somebody and it was going deep, it would have to be in the context of whatever's going to happen on Sunday, whatever's going to happen in the bigger vision for the building. So there was no focus on actually unlocking someone. The language also was duplicate yourself, replicate yourself. You know, it wasn't help unlock that person. It was make them like you and, you know, and you should be like me. So uh, definitely there was a shift where I went through a bit of chaos, <laughs> four years of uh, chaos, me and my wife. I like to call it a dry cycle in a washing machine because it was like we were just tumbling all over the place not knowing, you know, what's going to happen. To then come into this freedom to build people instead of building anything to do with me, anything to do with what I think people should be, just build people to be who God made them to be. And that really accelerated a lot of things for us. The other thing I, I do want to say is being like an apostle, the title apostle or the function apostle the way I had seen it was very glamorous and very like a rank you want to attain and everyone wants this rank and a badge and some kind of fame. And uh, so it was quite weird, you know, even the word, I guess, in my early days, I was like, this is, a, I had a weird relationship with that word, you know? Yeah, it's true. That's similar for me. You know, the environment I grew up in, Apostle was, well, they're a missionary that plants churches overseas. You know, it's mm. like, that was like the narrow perspective of apostle. And then when I got out of that environment, I began to see like, this is kind of, it feels like I'm, it's an MLM environment, you know, multi-level marketing where it's like, you've got this apostle at the top and everybody's trying to get access to that ap apostle and they're bouncing over each other to get there. It's almost like paying your dues to get to that place. And of course, when we read Ephesians 4, the apostle prophet, they're the lowest. Like they're not mm. at the top of the pyramid. They're they're at the bottom where everyone else is standing on top of to to advance. Yeah. And what did that kind of was there some type of a radical like te tectonic shift in you personally when it became like, hey, this is there's there's a serving side of this, like I'm going low so that others can even surpass yeah. where I'm at. Yeah. So I was listening to great preaching from people like Bill Johnston and Chris Fellerton uh, in the early days, and they talk a lot about this in that sense. But I still wondered if it was still systemic in its um, nature, if you want to call it. So when I went through this dry cycle, these four years, really what was happening, I ended up having the hardest time in all my key relationships. And it was like I was getting smashed from all ends. And every time I would petition the Lord on this or go to God and be like, what's going on? For me, the response was almost like, will you be like my son? Will you be like Jesus? What would Jesus respond like? What would I respond like? And I was getting a real-time lesson of getting squished into like a bridge, you know? And I still remember when God was asking me if I would be a bridge that would lay myself down so people can walk from one side to the other over me, you know? <laughs> and obviously at the beginning, that was not fun. Um, one of the things that happened was in this church setting, I was accused of trying to split the church because I started to have a lot of influence with people there. 
And I was trying to plead my innocence. It was not going anywhere. It was making worse. And then the Lord was like, why, why don't you let me vindicate you? So we go through the journey. And then he said to me to walk with this group of people. And there was about 14 or 15 of them. And my biggest fear was that the accusations would now prove to be true. And I remember a couple of weeks of arguing through that with the Lord. Like, how can I do this? It's going to prove them right. I don't want to do this. And him very clearly saying to me, do you care more about your reputation or walking with me? You know, So that was a big shift for me where I on purpose had to engage something that I knew was going to appear to some people as something else. And my reputation had to die at that moment. And that was a big shift for me because uh, it wasn't easy. <laughs> and that's interesting just in light of thinking again back to Apostle being that floor it's like something does have to die if we're really going to walk in apostolic dynamics. It's like it's it's not about the fame. It's not about the title. It's many times what's happening is unseen. You know, I I was talking to someone recently, and um, it was just about leadership. And, and I said, you know, if you look at Jesus when he's on the cross, it's like the crowds are gone. One of his 12s killed himself. The other 10 are hiding out. There's one guy there. Like, this looks like a train wreck. Like, this looks like a total failure, right? Just from a yeah. natural perspective, like, this is not a good outcome. And yet we know, of course, that just with a handful of people, he turned the world upside down. And I think what's significant about that is we tend to think in the macro which there's nothing wrong with the macro. We all want to change the world and have the biggest impact possible. But it's like we tend to overlook that it's within the micro that the biggest changes begin to take place. And that's mm. one of the things I love about your heart and what you're doing is you're like, hey, give me special ops, right? It's like, I don't need a whole infantry. Give me you know, Navy SEAL Team 6 and we're just going to make something happen here. Is that kind of been... For you, you feel like the Lord's guided you in a place of give me the cream of the crop, special ops. Let me invest my time there. Mm. Is that I had to come the to most peace rewarding piece with that. Yeah, it is super rewarding, but I had to come to peace with that. You know, at the beginning, I was like, well, what am I doing wrong? Why isn't this uh, something that's wide? It goes deep, but it doesn't seem to go wide. Why? Why isn't this something that everybody just wants to choose? And my own insecurities around numbers and around uh, numbers meaning success and around what it appears to be meaning success was all showing up. You know, 2017, 18 were a big year for me of deciding how would I gauge success of walking with God and seeing people's lives changed? Um, what would be success to me? And so there was so much just being trickled out of me <laughs> journeying through this process of going deeper with the few. And so the special ops, it feels like the best way I can say it, and this is something that the Lord showed me with the group that we have now. So we have about 35 to 40 that we are going really deep here, up and down the country. And I felt the Lord speak to me about a samurai sword. And he was like, I'm forging samurai swords. And a samurai sword is heated, it's folded, and it's beaten. And then that process is repeated over and over again. And it feels like with the groups I've been in, there's been heat. We've been folded because we had to adjust. We had to adapt. We had to become malleable. And then we were beaten into a new depth, you know. 
And not everyone likes either one of those processes. So I've seen people run from the heating, run from the folding, run from the beating. Uh, but at the end of this, a samurai sword can take a bullet and it can cut a bullet without having one bit of impact on the sword itself. And uh, as I started coming to peace with that, I guess my heart really shifted to what God's really doing. You know? So two weeks ago, I felt him ask me if I'd go to Perth just to be with some people, like no workshops, no big thing, just to spend time with people and how important it was for him. So it was really awesome for me to start to enjoy this on a deeper level. You know, That's amazing. I love the samurai illustration. <laughs> Full-on samurai mode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what would you say yeah. to people that, you know, maybe they have felt like a pull to, I'm supposed to build something, and maybe their perspective is it's the wide first. Mm. What would you say to those that are maybe focused on the wide? Yeah, so what I have seen in my limited experience so far, but deep experience, I guess, is that it's easier to go wide, but when you go wide, the chances of generational impact and the chances of keeping a concentrated impact is very low from what I have seen. But And that's why when I look at Jesus being with the 12 and he goes really deep with them, that depth brought out the next generation and then the next generation and then the next generation. Mm. Um, so that would that's what I would say is that if you're after something that's for your generation, which I don't think is God's full intention, uh, then going wide is the easy first option, you know. But if you are after raising something up that's going to go beyond you, then that would have to go deep much more than it goes wide. And it's your choice, you know. Uh, the other thing I would say to that is you are a son of God, you're a child of God, and you have this freedom uh, to be and operate as much like your dad as you would like. And obviously you were created for the fullness, but you get to choose, you know? So, yeah. I mean, that depth reminds me of the Corinthians when Paul's like, hey, you got a lot of teachers, but not a lot of fathers. And I think with the apostolic, there's a father and mothering dynamic here that it's not, again, transactional, but it's like if we're truly mm -hmm. going to operate in this place of the mm -hmm. apostolic, there's got to be a fathering and mothering aspect. Would you agree with that? What would you kind of, at this stage in your journey, what's, do you have language for fathering, mothering? What does that kind of look like for you? Yeah. So I would totally agree with that. And going deep, you can have a perception of a father, but in reality, the best you can be is like a headmaster of an orphanage, you know, <laughs> when there's so many, so many kids that like you're not going deep with all these kids. So for me, 1 John 2, 12 to 14 has been a real anchor where John's writing and he says, I write to you, dear children. I write to you, young people. I write to you, fathers, mothers. And he's laying out this journey of maturity, the three phases of maturity. And um, if you are on a journey of maturing with your father, you will organically become a father or a mother, right? Just like in the natural, my children are watching me operate as a father. They're watching their mama operate as a mother. And they're growing up thinking it's totally normal to one day have their own family, still belong to this one, but start their own one where they are now the parents. And I believe that that's what it should have been spiritually also, where it's totally normal watching families just organically multiply and grow. And it's not on the big scale, but it's deep and so far deep that today it's 
like for my children, it's totally normal. There's no doubt ever to ask whether they're going to have a family one day and have their own children. And so the fathering, mothering element, I think, is really, really huge. And it's costly and it's uh, inconvenient. <laughs> and um, it's uh, just like in the natural, when you raise a child, you don't get appreciation for a long time. And even when you do, you never get full appreciation. Like I think of my own life and when we had Adele, who's my first baby, ringing my parents and being like, you did this for me. I can't believe you did this for me. I love you. Thank you. Like This fullness of appreciation of what you did for me, that fathering, mothering journey of laying your life down, I think, is the key. Totally. My wife and I were talking recently and we we're talking like when you have a baby and it's brand new, people are bringing you gifts and food and it's like, and then you get to the later stages of life of that child. And it's like, it's actually harder at that stage than it is when they're brand new infants. It's like, there's so many different layers of process and interaction that it's, it's interesting. So when you're talking about multi-generational, it's like that comfort and convenience is assaulted right in our life. You know, I often say like, Hey, when you get married, it's an assault on your selfishness. And your first child is another layer that's assaulted and, and you think you're fine. And then you have a second child and it's like, Oh, there's more to be assaulted. And, <laughs> and if we're really going to yeah. make impact that is generational, it's, it requires something, right? Yeah. I think the part that maybe is annoying to people to, to us, to our false nature, if you want to call it that is, you know, you get married, you, your selfishness is exposed, and then you think you've dealt with it. Then, like you say, you know, you have your kid. And I remember feeling this with each one of my kids. Like, wow, like I thought I'm so selfless now. And it just, and so imagine doing that to somebody who is not your natural biological blood relative. It's a new level of dying. Like your child, in some ways, you're like, okay, they got my last name. They're growing with me. They're going to listen to me. At least for, you know, 12, 15, 18 years, I have authority here and we can mistake authority for influence a lot of times. But with someone that's not a blood relative, it has to be purely influence. And so you, people start to realize they have no influence, but, you know, with, with other people. Uh, and a lot of the church system, churchianity is built on uh, influence that's based on titles. So I don't know if I would ever call it real influence, you know, um, but with discipleship or the fathering, mothering, influence becomes a big deal and i think learning how to be a person of influence becomes very very important there yeah yeah absolutely man so a reminder those of you listening joseph and i are doing a workshop two days called new era apostles it'd be awesome to have you there'll be replays if you can't make it live and it's on a thursday on july 13th and another thursday so one will be at 5 p.m pacific standard time the other uh, 12 15 p.m pacific standard time we'd love to have you and we're going to keep this conversation going uh, a little deeper in my patreon so if you want to check out becoming a member it's where you get access to exclusive private podcasts that i'm doing and sometimes with guests like this but last piece here joseph would you whether it's a prayer an impartation or a declaration for those that are listening they're like man i, I want this i want to grow in this would you begin to, would you be able to release something? Yeah. So I'll just pray. Father, I just thank you for every person that is listening to this. Lord, I thank you that before the foundation of the world, you had an idea 
they're an expression of that idea. And I pray that from this very moment, as they listen to this podcast, that something will come alive on a deeper level to what they are called to, and that they will embrace the maturing journey to mature into being the father, being the mother that you've called them to be, that they would find the people that they need, the tribe that they need, who would love them for who they are, while calling out the gold in them, and that there would be a significant shift from this moment. Amen. Amen. Awesome, man. Thanks, Joseph. Thanks for tuning in today on the Seated Above podcast. I'll see you next time. Peace. You've been listening to the Seated Above podcast with Brian Orm. If you've enjoyed the episode today, please share it with someone who appreciates living an ascended life. Want to go deeper into this type of content? Head over to iBorm.com to access Brian's courses, workshops, coaching, and more. 